All right, would you all pray with me? Lord, open our hearts and minds this morning that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that your scripture is read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us this day. Amen. So a few years ago, when Allison Camden and I were living in Chesapeake, Virginia, this is pre-Nora, every Sunday after church, we would sit around our kitchen table and talk about what happened in worship that morning. It was our opportunity to connect with Camden to find out what he had learned about in Sunday school, and an opportunity for Allison and I to get on the same page for what the rest of the day would hold. And it looked something like this. What did you do during Sunday school or children's church today, Camden? What was the best part of your morning? Did anything exciting happen? You know, the, the, the questions that you ask your kids even, even now. And it's a routine that we continue today, mostly because of what I'm about to tell you. On this particular Sunday, Camden had learned about Noah's Ark in Sunday school. And depending on how you tell the story of Noah's Ark, it's either a great story to tell your kids, or it's a terrible story to tell your kids because you either have rainbows and animals, or you have devastating floods and death. And if you continue the story, well, I'll let you read the rest of the story and you can find out what happens. So Camden told us about the rain and the rainbows. He told us about a bird carrying uh, a tree branch. And in my mind, I'm like, this three-year-old's pretty impressive. And, you know, I'm getting a little carried away, and I think, well, I know where he gets it from, obviously. So Allison brings me back down, brought me back down to reality. I said, well, let's push this a little further. And I said, Camden, who was on the boat? And Camden looked at me, so he looked at me for a moment, and Camden and I can't filter our facial expressions. And so I could tell that he was super annoyed with me. And I, I don't know why, Dad, you would ask such a stupid question. And so I asked him again, you know, Camden, who was on the boat? And still, the only response I got was this annoyed three-year-old staring back at me with a chocolate milk mustache. Okay, buddy. Okay, I'll get you started. Noah was on the boat. There were some, there were some animals on the boat, and Camden continued to look right past me as if I had no idea what I was talking about. And after a moment, he set his grilled cheese sandwich down on his plate. He took a sip of his milk, and he looked at me and said, God. And then he picked up his sandwich and went back to eating. And I looked at him and said, God, what? Which is a dangerous question. It's a dangerous question to ask your kids. And looking up from his sandwich... Very seriously, he said God was on the boat. Well, what about Noah and his family and the animals? They were on the boat. I'm like getting a little nervous that he didn't know the whole story. And he looks at me with the most serious expression that a three-year-old can have. And he goes, tear? And that's what he calls me when he's really annoyed. <laughs> tear, God was on the boat. So this week, we're finishing up a sermon series called Living. In the early church, this is like 1,200 years ago, uh, the season of Easter, right after the celebration of the resurrection, that was the time of the year where new Christian converts were joining uh, Christian communities. And the goal during this time was to discover what it meant to be a follower 
of Jesus. So here in Mount Olivet, we've been doing that. We're exploring the Gospel of John to consider what it means to believe and follow Jesus. You know, living our lives with Christ uh, as our example. And so today we're going to consider what it means to listen to Jesus. And so the Jews said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. It's the first part of that question from our scripture reading that tells us that this is not the first time Jesus had been prompted with a question like this. During the Festival of Booths, this is three chapters earlier in uh, chapter 7 of John's Gospel, there was a similar question put before Jesus. And the question gets down to this. Who is this guy? How exactly does he know what he knows? Because as the... uh, Religious leaders were questioning him back in John 7 acknowledged. Jesus had no formal education. He didn't go to uh, rabbinic school. He hadn't studied under a rabbi to learn what he had been talking about. And so in typical Jesus fashion, he answers a straightforward question with a not so straightforward answer. They, They asked, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. So the correct response to that question is yes or no. That's what I would expect to hear if I asked the question. But Jesus responds, I have told you and you do not believe. Jesus, in his mind, had made it plain, crystal clear. But the ones doing the questioning didn't see it that way. Their questions hadn't been satisfied by Christ's response. And to be fair to the people asking the question, up to this point in his ministry, Jesus had only been 100% up front with one person. There was a Samaritan woman sitting next to a well. She didn't know who he was. And so she said to Jesus that she knew the Messiah was coming. And to that, Jesus responded with a crystal clear response saying, I am he, the one you are speaking of. The religious leaders were right. Up until that point, Jesus had not made it clear who he was. It's not like the religious leaders would have consulted a Samaritan woman. They're not going to go into Samaria. But what had Jesus done up to this point to make it known who he was? The group of religious leaders would have, at the very least, known about the healings Jesus had done throughout the region. The Gospel writer of John tells us back in chapter 9 that Jesus healed a blind man. And after Jesus performed this healing, the religious leaders began to investigate what had happened. These religious leaders knew that he, ref- that he Jesus, referred to himself time and time again as the Good Shepherd. But the specific Answer, yes or no, that the religious leaders needed to hear wasn't uttered by Jesus. Jesus' audience at this time obviously hadn't been paying attention. The religious leaders were not listening to what Jesus had been doing throughout the region, healing people, forgiving sins, inviting these people who had been pushed to the margins of their community, pushed to the margins of the religious life of their community to re-enter their life of their community, to step into mercy and grace. So instead, they were waiting to hear Jesus say, no, I'm not the Messiah, because then they could mock and dismiss him. Or if he said yes, they could charge him with blasphemy and have him arrested. I think time and time again, I know at least myself, I don't want to speak for all of you, but 
it might be safe to assume this, that we often approach Christ like the first century religious leaders did. We approach Jesus with a very specific question, and we need him to answer that one question in a way that suits our needs. In turn, making the answer more about us and less about who he is. God, who are you? Where are you in my life? Why haven't you fixed fill-in-the-blank thing yet? What should I do? It's the same thing I did to Camden at the kitchen table a few years ago during uh, what we now jokingly call the Sunday School Inquisition. We ask questions with predetermined answers in our minds, and when the answer from the responding party doesn't fit our expectations, we just keep asking. We keep asking because we need empirical truths, we think, to produce faith. If I just know enough, if I can just prove enough, if I can prove that Christ is the Messiah, I'll believe. Our quest for knowledge via empirical truths has made the church a place where questions and doubts are no longer welcomed. We make it seem as though we have all of the answers in our minds. At least that's what we want people to think, when in reality, we're barely scratching the surface of what it means to listen and follow Christ. The problem, like the religious leaders in the first century, we cannot come to faith through knowledge or empirical truths. Every time we approach faith in this manner, we come up short. Because the answer given by Jesus does not fit into our version of what we think the truth is. Our faith in the Messiahship of Christ, that's what we can believe to be true about who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and what Christ is continuing to do today, is only possible through God's faithfulness. Christ told the religious leaders, The works I do in my Father's name testify to me. Everything Jesus did connected him intimately with the one who had sent him. They, Jesus, and God his Father, our Creator, are one and the same. The faithfulness of the one who sent Jesus is just as assured as the faithfulness of Christ as he overcame the power of of death, And the faithfulness of Christ reveals to us the faithfulness of God, our creator. So listen to him. We're not separated from God any longer because of sin or what other people say separate us from God. We find eternal life in Christ not because of our attempts to fulfill faithful living or to fulfill the law or proving that Christ is indeed the Messiah. We have been saved. We find salvation because of Christ's faithfulness. And Christ continues his faithfulness. Even when we approach him with questions to which we already have the answers. Thanks be to God. Amen.